Oh, now it's Hi, I'm Margarita. And I'm Brittany. I'm straight up. And this is Women Crush Wednesdays by Nywift. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Nywift Women Crush Wednesdays podcast. Um, apologies for not being able to get something up last month. We were, uh, everyone is just trying to get things together and struggling to make it happen. So it just uh, was um, delayed. So here we are. We've got a, a packed podcast with your co-host, um, Brittany Rosman is um, unavailable. And uh, we have a special guest co-star, um, Heidi Phillipson-Meisner, here with us as a member um, of NYWIF for many years. She was also the founding president of the Upstate chapter. And, um, you know, her time at NYWIFT goes way back as she was also an intern at NYWIFT um, back in the yep. day, worked with Terry. And, uh, and she's a filmmaker, producer, uh, a former stunt woman. Um, she's sort of a woman extraordinaire. And I'm so happy to introduce you all to Heidi. Say hi, Heidi. Hey, thank you so much, um, Margarita, and, and hello to all of our listeners out there with the NYWIF podcast. I am very honored to be here. Yeah, thanks. Um, so you, like as I had said, you, you, you go back to the roots of NYWIF working with Terry. You, you started the, the, you know, a new chapter up in, in the upstate area, and that's yeah. still going strong, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, it, uh, I I think like it was amazing, and and I the first the first part of my career um, I spent abroad, and um, when I came back to the states, uh, I kind of did things differently. I I actually went back to film school after having my first two children. My, I only only two children, but after my second my daughter was born, my second child, I went back to film school, and I thought, okay, this time around after this film school. I'm going to do things differently. I had never joined organizations. I didn't, they didn't really have tons of them in Germany uh, for us at the time, even though I was in international broadcast television. I was in uh, English theater. I was in TV and film over there uh, in Berlin. And um, I felt so lost. And so when I came back, I was like, okay, I am definitely going to be doing this. And there, at the time I was in Michigan, so I... Uh, saw there was a mentor program with the Chicago WIFT, and I and I went after that. It was great. So when we moved to upstate New York, I saw NYWIFT that was the closest, and I went for it. And it didn't matter to me that I, um, you know, I, because I had had my career abroad, I didn't really even honor my own credentials. I mean, that was how far back it was for me as a female in terms right. of honoring what what I've done and right. acknowledging it and why it was it's so much so much more, all the more important to have a, a women's organization help to buoy me up and my confidence in myself and my mm-hmm. accomplishments. Yeah, yeah, and so I interned and met Terry that way, and that was back in 2007. And wow, here we are. that's great, yeah. And then you commuted a lot. You moved around a lot, and then you moved to Michigan for a while. You were there. You would still come back to your house upstate, would go to um, the upstate chapter and attend NYWIP events, and now you're, you're in Germany. So tell us a little bit about Germany. Yeah, that's been amazing, and I have to say, once again, part of the reason uh, I went out there because I um, 
was well, it was sort of dual both my my career and my husband's career uh i was offered um the amazing opportunity to direct my first solo feature um my my Great. very very first feature darcy which i produced and acted in i also co-directed but i co-directed mm-hmm. it so i mean that that's not saying that's not nothing but it wasn't a solo gig as my own as being director by myself and so right. i had the opportunity to i'm going to be directing a feature film called um Mary Seeks Joe, that's the English uh, equivalent, and otherwise in German it's Maria Zuk Joseph. Uh, okay. And that's been uh, written by Nicole Yoens. And so that's kind of what was the force that brought me to Germany. Now, in terms of, um, or brought me back to Germany and my roots there and where I got my career started. But I have to say, this time around, it's so much better because the Women in Film organization there in Hamburg is very, very strong. I actually met a whole lot of them. Um, when I was at the Hamburg International Film Festival, they had a big party there. And it was, it's almost just like a welcoming. And I think that's what I love so much. Uh, I think NIWIFT is such a strong organization within the the WIFT. But it's just so great that no matter where you go, there there is this organization to embrace you and to recognize you and to give you that helping hand and push you forward. So that's been the journey so far. I just moved there in August, and here we are already, if you can believe it. Wow. We're in the end of October, and that's producing a short film in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, that we're going to be shooting in December. So I'm looking forward to meeting the West women out there, you know? Yeah, lots of stuff out there. That's great. Um, How is the um, industry there? Like, what does that look like there as opposed to the um, American uh, industry, how it's, you know, up and down? How is it internationally? I think... I think at least for Germany right now, they have a variety of organizations like um, the Women in Film and Television. They have Pro Quote Film. Um, these organizations are coming together because they're frustrated. Uh, a lot of money funding uh, that comes through taxpayer money, I mean, everybody's heard about sort of German, you know, um, soft money for funding films or whatever, or TV. It's a lot for TV. Uh, and... Mm-hmm. Um, it's not being equally uh, put out there for the women in the industry. In fact, it feels, I hate to say it in some ways, like um, 10 10 years back uh, where we were 10 years ago. Um, So they have, in some ways, it's not always easy to make a direct comparison. In some ways, they are advanced in terms of the social structures they have there. They have, like, you know, more grants for filmmakers and and support all the way across the board. Uh, On the other hand, their their industry is much more TV-oriented, and um, as such, that industry is highly, highly um, supportive of, of men in their careers as opposed to women in theirs. And they're really working hard because it is taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. The good news there, as opposed to here, is like, although we are doing that more and more, I think um, they get the direct accountability that says, okay, where are these monies going? And then saying, listen, you need to, I mean, this is government money paid by tax, and, and you need to actually have it adequately and properly um, represent uh, the people. And those are yeah. not all men, you know, right, so it's, right. it's great there. And I, and I think that uh, the women there are very, very eager to be partnering with women um, across the world, but also specifically in the United States, New York, L.A. Uh, they've definitely caught whiffed 
whiff, so to speak. They've caught mm-hmm. whiff of, of the big industry burgeoning in Atlanta. They've heard of that way over there. Right. Uh, yeah. and, wow. and they want they want to partner with us because I think that we they, like we, feel like we can do a lot more for our own careers if we make a united front versus, you know, kind of uh, living in our own little islands. It's really interesting. I hope that um, there's a way that we can find more collaborations um, for American women and international women to band together. Yeah, I think the great news there is what I didn't have 20 years ago. Uh, what we didn't have 20 years ago and what we have today is we do have social media. We do have wonderful mm-hmm. things uh, like TEDx, right? We have right. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Skype. We have all these connectors. And one of the things that I really want to do while I'm out there is uh, way back when, over 20 years ago, I spoke at the, the American Consulate in Hamburg to a group of students on how to create a career as an American abroad. And then now I'd like to go back out to them and really bring some wonderful panels of, from American women in the industry out there to talk and to connect everyone. I think we have... Um, yeah, we have the means and the medium to connect with each other. I think we just have to take advantage of it and then see how that parlays into actual jobs and funding uh, for jobs. uh, Right. um, Because otherwise talk is cheap. Yeah. And are there other ways that the women are trying to get themselves out there and and level each other up within the industry? Yes, absolutely. So... Some of the sites I've noticed that they have over there are things like Crew United. Um, I've never heard that over here, but that's over there. That's kind of like our sort of crew platforms, which we have a lot of those, obviously, in the States, too. Um, But there are some some women um, uh, who and some organizations, one particular U.S. organization that's pushing out there is called Film Powered, and they're looking to build... Mm -hmm. A, an, an international platform of all women and want to raise up to 5,000 members. Wow. So that's, that's not just, it's based in LA, but it's looking to go across the world of women everywhere. So mm-hmm. that if you are making a production either from the LA and you want to go out to Europe and make it, you can easily connect with your crew members. And the same for women in Europe or elsewhere who want to come to the States and shoot something and are just looking for connect. Um, and then the other one is the international women working in film. I think that's another one. So, um, you know, I've been starting to see, and in both cases, these organizations are, are run by women in the industry. So, I mean, I, I'm seeing a lot of activism that um, it's not enough that we just sit there and wait for jobs to come to us because they're not coming to us at a, at a rate that's sustainable for us to live. And we see, right. you know, we see in the media, like the, the one Ava DuVernay or whatever, that's great, and, and I'm not knocking that, but that's one person, or she, the percentage is still so small, it's not anything that any of us can really, um, you know, live off of in a way that we feel comfortable and we feel like we are really being honored um, economically by what our output is in, in, in our industries. Right. Well, is there... Um are there any specific organizations like that that you're interested in? And maybe, I mean, I know you're busy and you're doing a million things. What, how are you? Um, <laughs> how am I doing? How am I? I'm exploring. I mean, I, like, gosh, I don't know. I, I try to go for all these different memberships, even though, uh, you know, it is an investment of your time and your energy and your resources. Yeah. Uh, 
But I, I think they're so important because at the end of the day, they do keep you connected and yeah, they keep yeah. you going. So at least, you know, my God, I mean, at least people like me, I love what I do. And I yeah. would look for a hobby and probably put money in a hobby. Well, this is my hobby. It's my outlet. It's my profession. So I'm fine with that. Um, I think that I'm really kind of excited, like I said, to see what happens with an organization like Film Powered, yeah. um, because if it's an, if it's if it's yeah, that's just that's and I think that that organization in particular that 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 um, platform that is taking this has jobs for every category, uh, right. you know whether it's yeah. acting or whatever. So I, I'm kind of I'm curious. It's a new frontier. It feels a little bit like the Wild West. Um, right. <laughs> but, but you know, those things will settle and we'll just find out. I, above all, right. I kind of feel like we need to get our film commissions on board. We need to get our governments on board because we can have these, these sites and they're great, but until, you know, at least they're showing the numbers, which is what we want to put out there and say, listen, we mm-hmm. really do have these numbers. Um, but until we get these you know, these, these governmental uh, whatnot uh, going and, and acknowledging us, I, I think it's going to be hard for the industries to be called to attention. Yeah. Well, there's still a lot more for everyone to do, and we're still trying to, um, you know, live our lives, have our families, and do our projects and, and get our voices out there. So I know that we have the power of doing it all together. So hopefully um, we'll be getting there very quickly into a another stage, the next stage. I'm excited to see what that next stage will be. That will be great. Yeah. I mean, you know what they say. If you if you want something to get done, what do you do? You give it to a busy person. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and then if you give it to a busy woman, well, there you go. Then it's yeah, be handled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, look at how much you multitask there, ladies. So, you know, I mean. <laughs> right. I think it's I, always I great things always happen when we get uh, busy and dynamic women together. Um, yeah. I, I, it's always exciting. And now we just got to say, show me the money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, time is coming. That's happening. But um, great. Well, so we're not through with you yet. I'm going to just sort of let everyone know we've got a, we're taking a brief break and we're going to have a little segue here. We've got another interview with Catherine O'Kane. She is also um, on the board of directors along with me at NYWIFT. She is a showrunner, a producer, a woman extraordinaire, and also doing a million things. She also, her latest project, um, you may have seen it on Netflix that's uh, airing now. It's called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. So um, check it out. This is a really great conversation of her projects, her work, and um, how she gets things going as well. Hi. I am here with Catherine O'Kane. Um, she is a board member for New York Women in Film and Television um, and a longtime showrunner and producer. She's currently a showrunner on Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which is um, showing right now on Netflix. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. Um, thanks, Catherine, for coming in and uh, for talking to us. Um, Margarita, like- so nice to do this. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks so much, um, Margarita. So uh, also, you and I both are on the communications committee at NYWIF. Yes, yes. So. <laughs> right. so much, so much too, in, in tail in your, in your history. Well, and what we both do, right, is um, uh, communicating the things that we do in the organization to people and, and all the rest. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do this program 
um, with Annette Marion, who is a friend and a colleague and also a fellow board member. Um, the, and, uh, you know, we, we do it, I think, because we all share the same philosophy that when it comes to production, we should be in the service of other women and we need to show up for each other. I think that's why we're all a part of NIWIFT. So, mm-hmm. um that's great. And if I have any regrets, it's only that I didn't join earlier in my career to be able to take advantage of all of the great um, opportunities there are. But um, um, I got my start as a de- in the development department at a commercial production company um, that was looking to do longer format. Like they, Their bread and butter really were like the 30-second spots for television commercials. And they had just started in the late 90s, to date myself, um, <laughs> uh, wanting to do longer longer programming and uh, the the owner of the company used to say that 30 second spots are going to go away we need to get in between the 30 second spots so it was actually a really cool time to be a part of the company because I was just starting out I had very little experience and um, was able to wear a lot of hats and see the process from the inside out but I found after a couple of years the working in development that it just you have to be a constant cheerleader. Sometimes it takes years to get a project off of the ground. You know, for the for, you have to wait for all the stars to align and everything to work out. And I want to just make things. I didn't want to just talk about making things. So um, I left the staff job and started right back up at the company working as a PA on the commercial side. So I got my I sort of cut my production teeth. Um, in the production office, uh, which was a great experience. And I got to work with Errol Morris, who was a director there. You know, he's a, he's a big um, documentary director, but he also used to mm-hmm. do commercials for this company. And it was great because he knew me on the development side and was kind of like, what are you doing here schlepping stuff? But it was, you know, <laughs> I got to learn all the ins and outs of it because I got to do sure. a lot of different jobs. So I wouldn't trade that for the world. Yeah. Um, and basically, I just worked my way up through until uh, I got onto the story side of documentaries, and that's where I've stayed ever since. Oh, that's amazing! So, and you've but you've been doing this for so long. Um, can you give us a little brief background on some of the on some of the productions? Some of the projects done? I've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so let's see. I've done. One of the sto- one of the shows that I'm really the most proud of that probably nobody outside of my family saw was um, <laughs> was a series for Discovery Channel called San Quentin Film School, and mm. this was a six part documentary series. We um, identified nine inmates of varying degrees of um, severity, I guess, um, and uh, taught them how to tell their own stories and make their own movies over this six-hour arc, and it was mostly verite, and it was fascinating to learn about the lives of these men who were in there for all different reasons, and I felt tremendous responsibility to be honest and do right by them um, and to show the humanity, the human side of it. because before that, jail was a place where I just thought bad people went, and I didn't really think right. anything more. And it's just so much more nuanced. You know, um, right. laws are black and white, but life is really shades of gray. And that's what this, mm-hmm. this show um, really showed. And then another one that I did um, that actually, I, it's where I met Annette Marion, who I'm doing the program with, was a show called Masterclass for Oprah Winfrey's Network. 
Mm-hmm. And it was the flagship show that launched the, the, the network, and that was a really tremendous opportunity. Um, are you familiar with Masterclass? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So you know, it's um, basically, I call them autobiographical episodes. Yeah. So there's someone who Oprah identifies as a master of their lives um, who tells you life lessons that they've learned over the course of an hour. And mm-hmm. um, season one was really incredible to craft and figure out how we were going to do it. And um, Oprah called in all of her favorite people. So I actually got yeah. to go to Maya Angelou's house and we talked wow. to her about her. I mean, well, and she made it look easy to edit because she opens her mouth and poetry falls out. So right. <laughs> sure. um, but that was certainly a career highlight. We also had Sidney Poitier, too, who sat there oh. and, uh, sat on this hard stool for uh, well past the two-hour mark that we had allotted. He ended up staying for closer to six. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. I mean, well, when you're 84 years old and you start the interview yeah. with, I was born to two tomato farmers, <laughs> we were like, okay. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you have to, uh, you know, add, add some lunchtime there for the crew. <laughs> yeah, you know you're going to have to settle in <laughs> for that. But those two... Um, are very different shows, obviously. One is celebrity-driven, and the other one's like real people verite show. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy both of them for different reasons. And for those those productions that are so different, what are the most challenges during the transition in between? So when I work on a project, it's usually on an exclusive basis, so I just do one at a time. And I think that's probably best for me since I – tend to have the attention span of a hummingbird, so it's good to just focus on what. <laughs> and that's, that's uh, great because so, so does the audience, so that's great. Yeah, <laughs> so do we all, right, in this ADD world that we live in. But um, I also think that that's what makes me good at my job because I really enjoy a deep dive into something for a period of time, tell a story, walk in somebody's shoes, and then it's done and it's out there in the world for people to watch, and then I can go on to the next thing. So I consider that like a real privilege to be able to do. Um, And then I think in terms of strategy, I really try not to roll into one thing right on top of the other because I I do think that there's burnout, particularly when we focus on something so intensely. Like I really do need a break. I need to recharge my batteries. I need to go to to museums. I need to watch movies, and I just need to like hang out on my couch for a little while to, <laughs> to yeah. get the energy back up. Because I think if you roll right into one thing right after the next, uh, uh, it's creative cannibalism and you don't have a chance to really grow and reflect on what you just did. Right. Um, But now speaking of cannibalism. (laughs) (laughs) What a segue. (laughs) Well, it just was so funny because I was thinking um, you were also working on Fear of the Walking Dead, right? Joe, yeah. <laughs> I work on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Yes. Um, <laughs> One of your many projects. <laughs> right. Speaking of something totally different. Yes. So I, uh, a couple of times a year, I go down to Atlanta to film behind the scenes of The Walking Dead with cast and crew that air on the after show on AMC called The Talking Dead. That's amazing. So how how is that? Um, is that different from other projects that you're working? Like, what's the difference there? That's totally different. Um, 
I work with, it's usually the executive producer of Talking Dead, Brandon Monk goes down there and he brings a small crew with him from Los Angeles because that's where they're based. I fly down from New York to field direct those pieces. Um, so it just, it's in a lot of ways, it's making sure that, um, you know, the cast and crew are sh- turning up and that everybody has what they need and the people who are about to be interviewed are comfortable. But then I also set up the camera with the DP, make sure that the look is going to work. Um, and because we are on a live set, we have to piggyback with whatever the main production is doing. And sometimes that means we have very little time to interview because we have somebody who's in the middle of shooting a dramatic scene and they've got a couple minutes for us. So we just have to be very ready and nimble and ready to make it work. But I love it. I look forward to it every time. Um, If I'm not working on another project, I always say yes. And um, if they're listening, they'll then I can admit that I would probably do it for free because it's so much fun. Um, And I'm a fan of the show, too, so it's a special thrill to go down there and see this group of people who've been doing this for nine seasons now as this well-oiled machine. And they're also just so lovely, Margarita. Like, they're just really nice people. So it's a source of inspiration, you know. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm sure that's also a nice um, sort of little... Uh, project that cuts everything else that you've got into different seg- segments because it's just a little bit more fun and not so regimented, maybe, I'm thinking. It's definitely a palate cleanser. I also think yeah. that... Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I also think that it probably makes it harder for people to classify, like, what I do because I do so many different types of things, but I really just wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, exactly. Um and 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 that also brings to your whole resume of all the projects that you've worked on. Now you're working on, or well, you've worked on the show Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which is airing now on Netflix. Can you give us a little um, intro on what that show is about? So Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat is a Netflix series that just came out this month, and it's based on a book by the same name written by Samin Nosrat, um, who is a Berkeley-based chef. She was trained at Chez Panisse. The book just won a James Beard Award, which is a big deal in the food world, and these are the four basic elements to good cooking. And mm-hmm. so what we did is in we took each element and we went to a different place to explore it. So for salt, we went to Japan. For fat, we went to Italy. For acid, we went to Mexico. And for heat, we stayed in her hometown of Berkeley. Um, And we're getting really good feedback. People like it as much as we do. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people, um, actually on Twitter, I'm on Twitter 24-7, and a lot of people talking about it there, Mm -hmm. Um, especially between the, the, you know, the um, foodies, they're all excited and hyped up about it. And I've seen um, a couple of, I haven't, you know, with so much content out there, I, I put it on my list and I, I watch a little bit of it because it's it's a longer show. I like to watch that, not in my bedroom, not on my computer, but in the living room on the big TV with <laughs> because it's so beautiful. And and oh, I, I like to have it in the background there while I'm. it inspires me to, like, create some new um, kitchen 
um, <laughs> my, my way of, of whatever, of whatever I can do when the salt and the fat and the acid and the heat, it comes out completely different, but it's a beautiful journey into what it should look like. <laughs> yes. And, so, and Samin's whole point is that it doesn't need to be perfect. You just need to try, and she wants to make cooking accessible. She's such a, a bubbly personality and an approachable um, person, and I think that's, that's her philosophy. Like That's what she's trying to do with the show. So to that end, one of the things we tried to do is steer clear of like the really fancy chefs that you might see on a show like Chef's Table and, and research you know, more underrepresented voices um, that you don't usually see on screen. So for the Italy episode, for example, we, we got a Nona. We got a grandmother who had amazing pesto, and she taught me in her recipe. Um, and uh, that was a really special thing. And in Mexico, we went... Um, we stayed in the Yucatan Peninsula, and we went and we met with some ladies who made tortillas by hand, corn tortillas by hand, and had for wow. 50 years. You know, So it was a challenge on the production side because these people don't have websites. <laughs> so we had to, oh, yeah. you know, we, we had to really you know, do it the old-fashioned way and make phone calls and talk to friends right. of friends and you know, find experts in the, in the community mm-hmm. and then have them do a little bit of footwork for us. But I think it was really worth the effort because we get to highlight home cooks and hopefully that inspires viewers to cook at home. Absolutely. I mean, it inspires me and scares me at the same time because... <laughs> <laughs> because I'm Don't like, be scared. I'm, I'm... Don't be scared. I made the focaccia recipe four times now, and it gets better each time. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Well, I would like to go to Japan and sift up the salt that they're doing from the, uh, from the sea and from the, the seaweed. The way they do that, it was um, incredible. I've never, ever seen that before, so I'm... It's, it was exciting to have that that visual. So beautiful. How did I know. how did that how did that how did that come about? The Japan one. Well, we we chose Japan because uh, apparently in Japanese there are like a million different variations of salt or words for yeah. salt. Yeah. So it made sense to go there and. You know, the American palate is becoming more and more familiar with things like miso and soy sauce, and so it seemed like a natural fit. But in Japan, the extra production layer is that these, it's almost like you have to talk to a food a foodie broker who <laughs> can help you identify who the, who the, the seaweed fishermen are, or the, the seaweed people are or who's going to make the soy sauce in the old-fashioned way. So there were definitely a couple of layers before we got to the people that you see on the screen. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to start looking to do my next job as a foodie broker. I like that idea. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So um, this amazing show um, has launched globally in 190 countries and in 40 languages. Crazy. Um, that's amazing. That's amazing. And the, what one of the most amazing things, um, being women and being on the um, in the Nywift community and talking with uh, another board member, that this amazing, wonderful show has a female director, a female showrunner. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of women behind the scenes 
and uh, and the host. So it's very um, it's very centric and it's beautifully made. And look at that! You even got a billboard. That's amazing. Um, so it's, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's great. I mean, do you find that there were um, of the challenges when you started in this industry and where it is now? Do you find um, yourself sort of uh, looking at the way the trend, the way the years have evolved as as a good good bad or ugly or all three. It's, it's an interesting question. Um, no doubt, the beginning stages of my career were really challenging, um, and I think part of that gender comes into play for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that when I started working on salt, fat, acid, heat. There were so many women in key leadership positions on the show. I mean, you mentioned Samine, our our host, and Caroline Sue, who's our director, but we also had our executive producer at Jigsaw, who was the production company, Stacy Offman, who was a real champion of the project from the very beginning. Um, Sarah Devorkin was our lead editor. Um, and then we had a number of crew and staff on board from, you know, associate producers, researchers, story producers who were women. And I, I, I guess the way I would answer your question is just to say that I remember very early on sitting in some of the staff meetings and being so pleasantly surprised that women were not in the minority in those meetings. But the fact that I was even aware of it, I think, shows that um, – we've come some way. We've got a lot further to go, but right. it was really refreshing to see, to have so many female voices on this project. It really is. And and coming from, from my perspective as a publicist and working in the industry for 20 years, I remember all my, my interviews that I would set up with the media were basically all the male on the project, there were no female. Mm. There were no female directors. There were no female editors or, um, you know, showrunners or producers. So this is, I, I think, this is just amazing. And congratulations to you and all your successes. So this is fantastic. Um, oh, I can't you. wait to, I can't wait to finish watching it. Um, Favorite, and of course. Yes, absolutely, and watch it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, but last but not least, we also want to talk about this uh, Nylift event program that that has just passed. Um, was called the Art of Directing and Running a Show, and that was produced by another uh, board member, Raz um, Murphy, who put this together and had asked uh, you and Edna Marion to discuss and have a conversation between the director and showrunner to highlight the roles and the creative inspirations. Can you tell us a little bit about it So, for the folks who maybe didn't get a chance to check it out? Sure. So, Roz, um, I have to say, while I was working on Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, Roz was constantly checking in with me to make sure that I was okay and doing all of it and if I needed no. anything and how the show was going. She was just very kind about that. And um, I had mentioned a couple of times about how when I was faced with a, I don't know, a question or an issue that I wasn't really certain about or didn't quite know what the next step was that I had called Annetta to get her feedback. And from that, Ross said, we should do a program with you two since you um, know each other, you've worked together, but you also were using each other as a sounding board on this project. So that's really the genesis of it. 
Um, so yeah, uh, Annette and I have a conversation about what it means to be a showrunner, what it means to be a director, and, and how you balance the creative side and the production side of those things. One of the things I think we're going to talk about is what a showrunner for nonfiction does, because a showrunner is a term that can have different meanings in different contexts. Um, you know the name Vince Gilligan. He's the creator and showrunner of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and as is Matthew Weiner for Mad Men. These guys not only created the concept, but they also often directed some episodes that set the tone and the look and the feel for the series. Sometimes you have showrunners who inherit a project, like Angela Kang, who's newly appointed showrunner for um, The Walking Dead, which we just talked about. She's taking over in season nine. So she was on the writing staff and has now been appointed to showrunner. And what that means is she's responsible for shaping the arc of the series over this next season. In the case of Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, the series had already been developed by Jigsaw, production company and greenlit by Netflix. So when the director, Caroline Sue, asked me to be the showrunner, what she was asking me to do is to be the one who, no matter what the obstacle, literally moves the show forward and works with her to realize her vision. So in other words, the buck stops with the showrunner. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that means, it can mean a lot of things, adapting a budget and a schedule to challenges that are unfolding in real time or, but, um, that's basically what it means. And the difference between the buck stopping with me and me having to do everything is um, that I'm I'm not a micromanager because I don't like being micromanaged and I believe in <laughs> transparency with all my department heads. And so, you know, I will tell everybody what the scenario is and um, we will work together to figure out what the path needs to be. But ultimately, it's up to me to make the decision and then communicate that to all the different players. The players are like the network and the director and the talent and the team. You know what I mean? So basically, you have no time for yourself and you're just making sure that this <laughs> this production continues without a hitch. Yeah, you just have to, I mean, but there will be hitches. Just know that, yeah. like, even with the best laid plans. And, and that's also the job, plan it, plan it within a centimeter of its life, but then also know there will be unexpected things and you have to adapt. What a better way to make that happen than women in the industry adapting every day <laughs> to, to our lives. <laughs> right, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Um, I'm so glad that you, in all of your projects and work that you're doing, that you also had some time to um, do this wonderful program for our members who I'm sure enjoyed this and will see more programs from you and um, continue to have your support on the Communications Committee. Thank you so much for all that you do at NYWIFT, and we wish you continued successes. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Margarita. It's a pleasure. And there, we're back. So that was a great um, conversation with Catherine, and uh, thanks again, Catherine, for your time. So um, here we are again with Heidi, and um, just to let all of you know, the connection was also Heidi and myself. Um, we had worked together on a project, her, uh, the film that she co-directed that she mentioned before called Darcy. Um, she was just about getting it in the middle of production. She reached out to me before production about publicity, and then um, we sort of had been talking about it and working on it um, ever since. And it's still going in her project. The film, Darcy, 
um, is out in the world. It's been traveling the film festival circuits. And so I'd love to hear from you, Heidi, on your struggles and the challenges that you faced during the production and the post and development and now distribution. Yeah, gosh, I mean, you're just mentioning, I'm thinking back to when we first uh, connected <laughs> and the way you're, I mean, how many years ago was that that we started yeah, this, that was, like with Darcy before our, we shot it? I think it was like, what, 2015? I think um, so. Or even yeah. before 2014, I reached out to you because I knew production was coming and I hit, I yeah. hit with a great stride. And I mean, I have to say, I think alongside your job, you also have to have a little bit as like, you know, um, like coach because <laughs> if you remember back then like I had no self-confidence and and even though I was doing these amazing things and maybe this is I don't know if a lot of other women who go through this but you just you don't you've been so told so often not to even acknowledge what you've done that you don't do it yourself and I think a large part of what this journey has been about for me is gaining my sense of confidence and um yeah just the sense of like under, just acknowledging for myself what I've done and where mm-hmm. we are and where, because you can't go from anywhere if you're already at the bottom. So, yeah, yeah, Darcy's come an enormous way, and we made it by hook or crook on a small micro budget, mm-hmm. and amazingly enough, it's done so well, and it's just now even more picking up steam. I think about it back then, and it was considered a difficult film, remember? We were like, how are we going to angle this? Because it was like dealing with a pedophile and it was dealing with right. a teenager, like coming of age and, and, and a I teenage mean, female lead nonetheless, right before, right yeah. before the time's up. Right. Yeah. Right. And back then we're like, this is really dark. How are we going to put this out? You know, like all these different mm-hmm. kind of things, which now, if you look at today's time, Me Too had not really blown up yet. Right. And just think, mm-hmm. since then, we've got this Me Too where people are voicing out and being so much more honest and vocal about what's happened to them and that they right. don't want to put up with it anymore. And I know even back then, I felt very scared about opening up about what happened to me in terms of sexual assault. So the fact that we've got regained and reclaimed our voices and said, listen, mm-hmm. we need to get this out there, this right. film for me has been so much more than just a movie um, and a story uh, a narrative story, but it's been, um, or an art house, it's been sort of a sense of activism. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that's a, a woman thing or not, but I, that's what I love. I love putting content together with some sort of activism that helps us to see where we are in the times and what we want to face, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. with content that's darker. So we've come a long way. And now, this weekend, we've got the High Falls Film Festival uh, in uh, Rochester, New York. Yeah. Um, so I, it's been it's been a crazy ride, and thankfully it's not over because I'm enjoying it a lot now. Uh, and uh, I just I just love I love the audience feedback that we get. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. love how the women respond to it. You know. No, it's great. And what I um, love about this film, and I know that you had mentioned this uh, during another film festival, an audience member had mentioned that. Because I felt this, and then when you had told me about it, I, I got it, like I, I understood it, where they said how your, you know, they saw your the view of both the woman and the male perspective on this story being a co-directing uh, project between a male and a female. The both of your perspectives were really highlighted in there in the sense that um, 
you you used your sense of lighting differently when you're speaking in the voice of a female um, and yeah. the voice of a male, and like the way the story plays on the perspective with lighting and sound and the visuals. It was it really is um, a cinematic um, poetry sort of in motion. It was it, it's beautiful. Well, thank you. It changed how I see uh, the whole industry and the way what we call excellence in choices. I mean, even down to the editing, just think about it. If you are dealing Mm -hmm. with a story that's a male protagonist, you're going to stay that much longer on the male protagonist all the time. And anything else, if it happens to be just a small supporting or female, that's hardly ever, you're not staying a whole lot of time on that. And as soon as you start telling a story where it's more evened and more, it's really, you know, it's supposed to be equal, but it's also a lot of her story. You see that much longer um, on that cut. So those things are big. And yeah, in regards to what you're saying, I mean, one of the audience members noted and asked, it was a male at the time, and this was our premiere in, um, um, in Minnesota uh, at the twin uh, twin cities film festival. Um, He says, well, I noticed that, you know, this, this male, like, uh, character who is really the antagonist here you are lighting him with really flattering lighting like he's not dark he's, and yet you know this other guy who everyone calls pete the creep you're lighting him really dark and it's like well yeah because that's how our main lead who's 15 she's fantasizing about this guy whether she should be or not he's not good for her but that's how she sees him right, right. so we're seeing exactly. him through her eyes not some other you know and i think those are choices like those are all really choices and when women start to there is a woman's gaze there is a female gaze and when we start to really acknowledge our choices then then it changes the whole game right i mean mm-hmm. exactly. i think it's it's almost like a it's almost like a catalyst for for disruption in the industry and we're ready for it so i don't yeah. know we'll see i mean it was really uncomfortable for a lot of people when they first saw the film because they're like, wait, this just doesn't feel like what I've seen. I'm not normally, you know? Yeah. Hey, why not, you know? Yeah, and right. And I, I remember gravitating towards the film because of, of the raw intensity of it. So it's, it's definitely a powerful film. It will speak to a lot of people. This film is directed by Heidi Sotzenmeissner and John Russell Crane. Um, it stars... Gus Burney, as a young Gus Burney, this is pre, um, uh, the, the, before the television series that she did, uh, and I'm having a brain fart, help me out, maybe. Oh, The, the Mist, yeah. The Mist, Stephen right. King's The um, Mist, the remake. Right, for, uh, the Mist, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Tchaikovsky. Um, yes. Yeah. Bernadette so, Quigley and, plays Fran, and we've got David Thornton. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. a, a, a major indie player. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no. Uh, it it when we met Gus, it, uh, she had never been in a feature before, and in fact, she'd been in one short, and she was extremely nervous. And honestly, like uh, my executive producer was like, "Okay, don't hire. Then let's go eight for an eighteen-year-old. You don't want a child. It's going to be too tough. You have a very fast schedule. It's only fourteen days, fifteen days. You're not going to be able to handle working only five days." five hours a day with a child. But I have to say that um, she was just, she came and she auditioned, and even though she was nervous, nervous she, she was the epitome of Darcy. And uh, our casting director, Caroline Sinclair, who I have to give major kudos because I was very nervous, and obviously I had a lot of people telling me, you know, to be very careful in this decision 
Um, she's like, I really think she's going to be a star, Heidi. I really have this feeling. And I leaned on Ka- Caroline. And, and you know what? From day one, Gus was a powerhouse. And, and I have to say, I've never believed it before, but I believe it now. There are those actors where unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. And she, the first scene was this crying scene that she had to just get out there. She nailed it. She just had us all floored. And from there on, she led the entire cast. It was really okay. her ensemble in that way because we came around her because we loved her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's no wonder I she's doing so well, you know. Yeah. It's really yeah. no wonder. I can't wait for more um, audience members to check this film out. It is now playing on its own festival circuit. What's the latest film festival it again? So this weekend coming up, the High Falls Film Festival, Women's Film Festival in Rochester, New York. It's playing Sunday. November 4th at 3.15 p.m. at the Little Theater in Rochester. I think the website is uh, High Falls Film Fest or filmfestival.com. If you Google it, it'll come up, and we're up there. And it looks like they have an amazing program. Um, And uh, we're just so honored to to keep that little train chugging and, and show people this film. Yeah. I Film Festival. Check it out, people. Um, well, thanks so much, Heidi, and um, I'm glad that I caught you while you were in town for a few. I'm sure that um, that you're going to do amazing things in Germany, and I know we'll be talking again very shortly because you know we're 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 in it together. Yes, so, thank you, thanks. thank you so much. I just wanted to add one thing. Here's something mm-hmm. to remember: Darcy was a fiscally sponsored project by Nywift. That's right, yeah. So, you know, uh, had we not gotten that encouragement and that help and that, you know, that made a big difference for us getting those initial funds together to get the film going. So, uh, NYWIFT, yeah. I'm, I'm always going to be true to NYWIFT. They've been there for me in every way, and I can only say I, I, wish, uh, I, I wish everyone could be a NYWIFT member. Yeah, I hope that more of our members, um, you know, sign up for those grants and register for all of these fundings that NYWIF does make available. So take advantage and please um, keep your projects going. Keep your voice going. We need more. Yeah. And thank you so much, Margarita. It's been a real delight thank speaking you. with you and checking yeah. in. As always. we got to do this over tequila next time. I'll, I'll keep fighting, girl. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll... Uh, check back in with you next month for our next Women Crush Wednesdays. Thanks all. Take care. Bye.